So we are continuing our series on the small letter of First Peter found towards the end of the New Testament. We've been taking a look at how he's writing ultimately to a group of people that have been dispersed from their original location. They've been experiencing persecution, suffering, all kinds of social challenges. Uh, and we've tried to take a look at a couple of lessons that uh, I believe are relevant in terms of us applying it today. Last week, we looked at some controversial passages, and today, I'd say it might be even more controversial in terms of where the rubber hits the road. So if you've been reading ahead in the book of First Peter, you're like, how's he gonna explain this one? Nice, nice. In case you wonder what I'm talking about, uh, let's begin in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. We're gonna rip the Band-Aid off. I-, I will unpack all of this in a moment, but for now, let's just read it at face value which hopefully will help you understand why we need what we call hermeneutics, which is actually the science of interpretation. So anytime you're looking at literature from a different era, you wanna make sure that you're understanding the context and culture back then, in order, so you wanna understand the there and then in order to bring it into the here and now. Make sense? So before anybody wants to walk out or throw things at me, just hang in there. In the same way, you wives, this is 1 Peter 3 verse one, must accept the authority of your husbands, I know you're feeling warm and fuzzy already. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Totally irrelevant to today. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. Just out of interest, anybody call? Um, it's been a long time since Sue's called me master. I'm just checking. I'm just checking if anyone, anyone, okay. Okay, you can imagine I was excited to study this passage and to, and to preach on this. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear or what... Uh, fear of what your husbands might do. Last verse, verse seven. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. I know a lot of women enjoy this next part. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Can we just close in prayer and release you to your wonderful Sunday ahead? On a very serious note, Scripture has often been misused and abused because of the filters that we come with. Some of them are understandable in the sense that it's cultural. We are, we are literally living 2,000 years later than the context that this was written into. Even today in 2023, we are still surprised. I don't know about you, but I'm still surprised at some of the things that happen in the world around us. I'm still surprised at some of the cultural dynamics that are taking place in certain parts of the world. And so what would be written to someone that is, that is living in a village in, in like the jungles of South America is gonna be different to, to someone living in a high rise in Manhattan, All right? It's not a trick question, the answer is yes. It, it'll be different, okay? Their lives are different. What would be written to a, a 10 year old is gonna be different to what's written to a, a father, a mother, a, a boss, a, a business owner. Who you're writing to really matters. The context, the cultural uh, time that, that people are living in, the values that are, that, that are accepted and that are propagated matters. And so I do think a lot of damage has been done when, and I'm saying even personally, I've often been disturbed 
I'm just being honest with you. I've been disturbed when I've read certain passages and I've just assumed, okay, there has to be an explanation for this. Anybody? You're like, I don't really want to give it energy right now, but there has to be, because at face value, this just doesn't seem right. And that's, and that's not just because I'm a feminist or you're a feminist. That's not just because we're living in a certain area. There'll, there'll be certain things that, especially last week's passage where, where it addresses slaves and masters. If, if you still have a question about that and you won't go back and listen to the message, it is, it is so important for us to actually do the work of understanding what was, what was being addressed then and do the work, because it does take work, to try and apply the principle, so to understand the principle and to try and apply the principle to today's context. This might be a bit of a bold statement, and I've got a knife in my hand, so you don't want to disagree too much, but, but I do think that if Peter was writing this to the church in Molniton or the church in Cape Town, in 2023, I think that he would be addressing the same principles, and they might not be the principles that you're thinking of. I'll, I'll get to them in a moment. I think that he'd be addressing the exact same principles, but he would be addressing them in a different way because he's talking into a different context. He'd be talking to a very diverse group of people. He'd be talking to, to, to a group of people that have foreigners from many nations, people that are refugees and asylum seekers, people that are in positions of power financially and, and from a social capital point of view. He'd be speaking to people that are living in a certain cultural moment. And so I think that he would be addressing the principles, but in a far more direct way that is specific to the context that we're living in. Makes sense so far? So... What I want to take a look at is some of the things that I think Peter is trying to address in its essence, and I'm, I'm looking at this section in particular under the idea of strength, or rather, stewarding strength. And that's kind of where the knife comes in. I don't know anything about cooking, but I know that this is strong, this is sharp, this, this can do damage to you, especially if it has been sharpened, right? So like I brought a jar and a wrapped up uh, towel trying to remind myself to be careful when I put my hand into my bag and I want to take it out. Something like this that has strength or the potential to cut. Something that has the potential to, to, to either perform some, okay, you're not going to use this for surgery, but a sharp knife you're going to use for surgery or you're going to maybe cut some meat or cut, for, for you vegans, I don't know what you cut, I guess veggies, you know. You, uh, it, it has, this, this in and of itself has potential but it all depends on whose hand this knife is in. And so I believe that Peter is addressing, believe it or not, both sets of people. So in this case, he's talking to wives, specifically of unbelieving husbands, and he's talking to husbands in a certain cultural context, which I'll explain in a moment. And I think that he is telling them how to steward the strength that they actually possess. In some cases, not to undermine or undervalue the strength they have, but also not to abuse the strength that they have. So, principle number one is that strength serves. It serves. It's, in other words, it's concerned with others. Verse one and two says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authorities of your husband then, even if some refuse to obey the good news. So it's not guaranteed that they will obey. Your godly lives will speak to them without any words. In other words, he's saying how you live, your, again, your good works will, will in some cases produce good fruit. How we live really and truly matters. They will be one over, or more technically speaking, I think he would be saying they might be one over, 
by observing your pure and reverent lives. Now, I want to also mention that we're reading from a particular translation. It's the New Living Translation. There are different English translations of the Bible, and, and scholars, in some cases, would use slightly different words to try and communicate what they think the meaning was of the original language. In this case, it would be uh, Greek that this would have been written in. So don't get too hung up maybe on a particular word. That's where I think scholarly work helps out. People that can go back to the original helps out. But here is the point that I think that Peter is trying to make. I think he is writing to a group of believing wives. Chances are they are recently or newly believing wives. So these are, are, are ladies that have chosen to follow Jesus. They are discovering a whole newfound freedom, similar to what we spoke about last week. And so they are no longer bound by some of the oppressive social norms where, again, we cannot even begin to imagine what life was like for women 2,000 years ago in this culture, in this context. I'll touch on that just now. But they, but they for all intents and purposes, were seen as inferior. They, they were treated that way. And, and they were under the authority or under the control of either their fathers or their husbands. And so now all of a sudden, they're discovering something radical. Wait, 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 we're actually equal. We, we are the same before God. God doesn't see men as superior and, more, and of more value than women. And so you can imagine that there's this temptation towards, hey, I'm going home. I'm going to, you know, let them know that I'm free. And I think the context that might help us is just imagine for a moment. I can't think of a, different, of a better example than this, but, but imagine that, that this person is connected to a staunchly conservative Muslim family, and this person has discovered faith in Jesus. Would it be wise for this lady to go back to her husband and suddenly put him in his place and tell him what's what, if she's interested in also trying to invite him to Jesus. If she's not interested in inviting him, to, well then, sure, nothing to lose. But that's why I'm saying strength serves because I think that in this case, Peter's trying to say, there's still something at stake. Remember, one of the common themes throughout this book is we're not home yet. This is not home. Eternity matters. So, so how we live here really matters. And I think he'd be saying, yes, 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 you've got freedom. No, 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 you're not what you've been told you are all this time. But now use that to serve. Use that to try and win him over. Now, in this context, it is referring specifically to wives because in the cultural time, um, if the husband had become a follower of Jesus, then almost certainly the entire household would be forced to follow Jesus. Whether or not that's sincere, we don't know, but, but, but there wouldn't be a tension. It'd be, hey, we're serving Jesus, come. We're going off to temple, or we're going off to church. It, it wouldn't be an issue. He's addressing the point of need. He's addressing the point of contention. So that is the there and then. The here and now is equally relevant to husbands that are followers of Jesus, that are married to wives that are not followers of Jesus, as what it is to wives that are followers of Jesus, that are married to husbands that are not followers of Jesus. And I think that in both cases, Peter be saying, what does love look like? How do we love well? How do we serve well? In, in other words, for my personality, my brain, I would say it like this, being right is not enough. You can be right and lack love. 
So you can be right. But I think that God would say, even more than being right, like, like can, you, can you hold on to that rightness and still love your spouse well? Making sense so far? And this is not just lip service. This isn't just what you say. It's how you live. Some of you are familiar with a very, very famous quote by St. Francis of Assisi where he said, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. He, he was a big proponent of doing good. Some have misunderstood his, his heart and his motives and even some of the history behind him. He wasn't just about good works. He was also about, but let's also be able to communicate which is, again, what Peter addresses in verse 15. He says that if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So there is the, there is the place for being able to answer and explain. In fact, I heard it mentioned like this several years ago. It's like an airplane, and you have to choose. Do you want the left wing or the right wing when you're midair? You want both. So, so it's not, well, we just want to live a good life and never be able to explain anything, or we just want to be able to explain really well, but how we live doesn't matter. It's, no, no, it matters. How we live matters, and yes, us being able to, in our best way, not someone else's best way, our best way of being able to explain the reason for the hope really, really matters. Now, I do want to mention that I'm, Peter is addressing, and I'm referring to people that are already in a marriage, okay? You're married you have chosen to follow Jesus. Your spouse is not a follower of Jesus. That's the context we're talking about. The Bible warns carefully against making, if you, if you are already a follower of Jesus, the Bible would warn you strongly against making the choice to knowingly commit your life to marry someone that is not a believer. The term used is, is being unequally yoked. Don't be unequally yoked. I actually think that that can even go beyond marriage to where you go into business with someone. Um, we're not talking about if you work for someone. That's a different story. But, but anytime your life is directly connected to someone else, if you have the choice in advance, there's so many people that, have, that didn't realize it at the time or they've come to follow Jesus since then. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you have a choice. I cannot begin to tell you the pain that I have seen in friends. In, in people in the church over the years that are married to, to a spouse for whom the, the, their core compass, their, their true north, their value system is just not found in God. I've seen grown men crying, not, not because they're so mad at or so angry with, no, no, they, they, they love their wives. And, they, and, and they, they're not able to convince or, con I'm just saying there's a reason why. And by the way, I would even take it further and say being unequally yoked is not even just about are they technically a believer or not. I'll speak as a father. I have three daughters. I don't want them to be marrying a guy who just ticks the box. But, but they're not devoted to Jesus. He's technically a Christian, and you know what? God loves him. You may spend eternity with God, but, but, but nothing about the core values of his life is ultimately comes down to what does God want? And so even there, I, I'm just telling you, I've been doing this full time for 26 years. I've, the, the single greatest distraction and, and source of competition and pain for people over the years in terms of 
trying to live out God's purposes for their life is their spouse, their partner. So again, if you're, don't go home and tell your partner, your spouse, you're giving up. I'm talking about people that have a choice. I'm talking about before, because by the way, once you get married, uh-uh. In fact, Paul even addresses in Corinthians, he says, hey, if your unbelieving partner, your spouse, sorry, I don't know why I'm using a, such a PC term, your unbelieving spouse what, is, is willing to stay married to you. He says, stay married to them. So I'm saying, after you commit, you're committed. But, if you, but you have a choice beforehand, so be wise, be careful. All right, that was really long on point one. I'm going to try and speed up for the rest. Number two, strength is internal. This strength that we are called to steward is internal, which I think we would all agree with in theory. But the practice is really, really hard. Verse 3, Peter says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Now, scholars suggest that there are a couple of reasons why he would be addressing this. First is that, again, in that culture, it was celebrated by, by pagan husbands and the pagan system to, to basically look as pretty as possible, to look as flashy as possible. So scholars suggest that in at least in some parts, this was an apologetic. In other words, it was, it, was, it was actually a message of, no, no, my hope is in something else. It's not in just being able to look really, really impressive. Another reason for, for the encouragement towards simplicity of dress was that it removed class distinctions. And if you think that that isn't still relevant today, you're living in a bubble. We, we are a diverse community. We live in, we live in a diverse city. And, and I hear our young people, how they will comment about, some, like if they go on the camp and someone's even just got some money to be able to buy something at the tuck shop, it's like they're privileged. For some of us, it's really hard to appreciate how hard it is for someone to even be able to buy a single piece of clothing for their kids. So, so there's... So there is an invitation to, okay, maybe there's a, maybe there's a call to, to modesty, not because you can't afford more, but because maybe God might want us to do something different with that margin. I want to be clear that it is not our responsibility to legislate dress code. So you can relax, okay? Unless, of course, like it's something, in a, like, I'm not talking about where everything's hanging out and the wrong stuff is showing. I'm not talking about, that's, that's now a moral issue. That's a distraction. I mean, this, this should be obvious for us, right? If we're going to be a distraction to someone else, that's selfish. If, if we're going to be seductive in our dress towards someone else, that's, that's not loving, just to be clear. That's not loving. That might, that might feed and meet a, an insecurity, but that's not, that's not loving. Again, remember, strength serves. But also, strength is internal. I think that, and, and this is something I need to spend a lot more time actually reflecting on, but simplicity of dress actually does check our motives. It, it, checks, it checks our value system. And again, as I mentioned, it can potentially free up resource for generosity. He goes on verse 4, you should clothe yourselves instead with beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now, again, you can imagine, if people just read this at face value, and they're telling, so if men are telling w- women, you should be quiet. 
Let me know how that works out for you. Again, these are, these are, these are English words that, have, that scholars have tried to apply to Greek language, but also in a particular context. I think that Peter is saying, who we are matters more than how we appear on the outside. I don't think he's saying you have to let yourself go and be unhealthy and, and, and look as, as ugly and dreary as possible. I don't, I, that is, that's just foolishness. I think, I think he would say, of course you've got to look after yourself. We, we have to be healthy, but we also, in addition to that, have to look at our hearts and who we, who we are underneath at all. In fact, a thought that has challenged me for a long time is that those closest to us should think the most of us. Those closest to us should think the most of us. And let's be honest, when you're living with people, you hardly notice how one another dresses, right? Test that. Ask, ask, ask someone that lives with you what you were wearing yesterday. They probably don't have a clue. Not right now. They probably don't have a clue. Okay, unless you went to like a wedding or something. But, 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 but the point is, that's, that's not going to be the most important thing. Who we are really matters. Who we are really matters. And that term, specifically gentle and acquired spirit, indicates a person that does not attack back. That is what scholars suggest the meaning of that term was. So not, so not that, that you, again, in, in English terms, the idea of, hey, just basically we're saying know your place is the way we might interpret it. Know your place, be gentle, be quiet, be submissive. That is not what Peter, that's not what I believe Peter is, is, is addressing. I think he is saying, and again, I think he'd be saying this to a husband or a wife that is married to an unbelieving spouse, saying, saying don't attack back. I don't think he's saying just, 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 I don't think he's saying take abuse and injustice. We'll, we'll get, get to that in a moment. But I think he's saying don't fight fire with fire. Let, let your humility, remember gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Let your humility, let your self-control, let your gentleness over time. And, and I've got to just tell you, I am so aware that literally for some people here right now or watching online, that for some of you, you are, this isn't, these aren't just ideas for you. You're living in this. And this could be the, the longest marathon and the greatest challenge of your life. And it could be for the rest of your life. I know that. I'm not saying I am so sensitive to the, to the mountain you are being invited to navigate up, but it's because of a heart that loves your spouse or your family. Again, there are certain parameters, and we'll touch on that in a moment, but it is addressing a heart that's saying, even though this is, this is, this is unfair or unrealistic right now, the way that I'm being attacked, I'm not gonna attack back. There are boundaries, but I'm not gonna attack back. I'm not gonna fight fire with fire. It goes on verse five to say, this is how the holy woman of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God. Their, their confidence wasn't in, in this case, their husband, their, their spouse's ability to, to protect them or to, or to just, just keep them pleased so that they would, would make sure that they get whatever they need. No, no, they put their trust in God and it's in that context that they were able in that context to accept the authority of their husbands because in that context, the husband did have authority, culturally speaking, whether you like it or not, whether we agree with it or not. So I don't like it, I don't agree with it, but in that context, that is how it was. 
Again, imagine going into a predominantly, staunchly Muslim nation and, and then suddenly saying to wives, hey, just tell your husband to know his place and to shut up and to, it would be offensive, it would be unnecessary if you're trying to win husbands to the love and the life of Jesus. That context is really important. I think you'd be saying, don't, don't take on an attitude of superiority. But then, point three, this is for those of you that are panicking. Strength has boundaries. He goes on in the second half of verse six to say, you are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. This now is becoming moral. This is referring to God's will over your spouse's will. That, just by the way, sorry, in case you're thinking I've deliberately skipped over the first part of that verse, let's just go back. For instance, Sarah bade her husband Abraham and called him a master. Don't, don't get stressed out over that. This was language of the time. If you live in the southern parts, I don't know if they still do this, but I think, I think that they might in some context. If you live in the southern states of America, children will often refer to their dads as sir and their moms as ma'am. Like, that's foreign to me, but that's a cultural, that's a cultural thing. We, like, when young people here want to, want to show respect to Irwin, who they think is so much older than them, they call him Uncle Irwin. <laughs> or, or they'll say Aunt Tammy or Aunt Sue. Yeah, they say Aunt, not Auntie. There is, there is a certain cultural thing, but in the South of America, it would be terms like Miss Tammy and Mr. or Pastor, whatever, you know, the person's name is. So, so, so they, if we were living in that context, they'd, they'd be calling me probably Pastor Jason and Miss Sue, which sounds weird, Miss Sue, Miss Sue. <laughs> so I, I just don't want you to get too distracted with that, okay? But again, the wrong person can take that and, and use that as a, as a justification to, to, to be a master over his wife. That is not what Peter is addressing here. In fact, I think to clarify that, he says that you'll do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In other words, he's saying, if this becomes a moral issue, as we mentioned last week, God's will will always trump any civil authority, any natural authority. Even a child and a parent, if your parent is, 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 is trying to get you to do something that is immoral, just so you know, eating your peas is not a moral issue, okay? Or going to bed at, a, you know, at curfew if you've got school the next day, that's, that's not a moral issue. Lying for you to protect criminal behavior, that's a moral issue. Doing something inappropriate sexually, that's a moral issue. There, there are, I'm saying that there are things that no matter who that person is, in a place of authority or power, God's will trumps their will. So there are boundaries, and I'm saying absolutely there are marriages where it is better for a spouse to separate at the very least when, when there is ongoing abuse. Anyway, there are, there are times. So don't, don't misuse passages to further abuse people. Number four, strength honors. It honors. If you're in a position of any strength, whether you feel like you have a moral superiority, whether or not you feel like you know better than someone, whether or not you feel like you're, you're in a secure relationship with God and someone is, else isn't, whether or not you think you're better educated, 
what, what, whatever way you feel like you may have strength or be superior in any way, strength honors. The correct use of strength, the correct use of freedom, the correct use of social capital is to honor. He addresses husbands in verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Can you just imagine some wife saying amen to understanding? Then there's some other husbands that are saying, I hope she's listening. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Now, at face value, this can sound very chauvinistic or even patronizing. So allow me to just unpack a couple of the phrases in here. When Peter is addressing husbands 2,000 years ago, saying, honor your wives, I cannot overstate how radical an idea that was in a culture of dishonor towards women. That, that would not in any way have been seen as chauvinistic. That would have been shocking. That would have been like, wait, what? To, to, to actually be giving appropriate dignity and value and honor to their wives was, was completely countercultural. It was... We read this today, and it's controversial for completely different reasons to why this was controversial 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, this would have been radical. So I just want to be clear. Peter's not patronizing women. He's not patronizing wives. He's saying to men, you have responsibility. You're in a culture where you have far greater strength. Now, again, this has been misused. So, so when he says that, that she may be weaker than you, this has, at times, I think, been misunderstood and misused to make reference to some kind of like moral weakness or intellectual weakness. That is not the case. This is referring to, in that culture, in that time, women were legally weaker. Women were academically, in many cases, if not all cases, weaker. Socially, legally, they were weaker. Their husbands could just, you could burn the food as a wife, and the husbands could, could issue a letter of divorce. Women couldn't, understand, they, they were weaker when it came to social, financial, legal, uh, equality. They were weaker. And so Peter is saying, don't you dare abuse that weakness if, in fact, you have a responsibility to protect that weakness, to, to actually honor that weakness. And make no mistake, this is still true today. It is sick and it is sad that this is still true today, but this is still true today in so many parts of the world, including our own country. So just to be clear, I actually like the way that Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase puts verse seven, where he says that as women, they lack some of your advantages. So when it talks about being weaker, it's, it's referring to the fact that in, in, this, in this cultural moment, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have the same advantages that men had. And if you're on your version, you'll see the passage in Galatians chapter 6, sorry, chapter 3, verse 20. Let's just go straight to verse 28 where it says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ. I think I mentioned last week that you don't ever build doctrine based on a single scripture. 
Jesus gave dignity to women. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, gave dignity to women in a time in history, in a cultural moment where there was none. He was making it clear, there is equality. Husbands and wives are equal before God. They are equal heirs to God's grace. And there's a second reason why Peter addresses this. He says that a failure to treat your spouse with equality actually injures your relationship with God. He says, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Now again, we can get overly technical on that idea or we can understand the heart behind it. Now consider this for a moment. I mentioned that we, I have three daughters. Do you think it matters to me how they are treated? None of them are weak in the sense of their strong-willedness. Trust me. But they are, physically, they would be, listen, they're all strong, but a stronger male, most of the time, I know that there are exceptions. In fact, I, I saw something the other day that I thought was quite, quite good, where, where a lady, I don't even know how this even popped up, but, but a lady who I think does, does CrossFit and all the rest, she's in good shape, she commented on how another guy at the gym said she's looking like a man. And her response to him was, well, if you work out like me, you could also look like a man. Okay, okay. I can totally see one of my daughters saying that. But anyway, that's, that's, a, separate, that's a separate issue. So obviously there are exceptions, yes. And, and just so you know, I've known people, I've known guys personally, who've been put in hospital by their wives. I, I, I'm not joking. So, so I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions. In fact, in, fact, in the two cases I'm thinking of, I think that, that it was actually quite demonic. Sincerely. I'm talking about where you wake up to someone beating, beating you with a brick. Like, so, so it happens. But I'm saying, I'm saying we can't take exceptions and then, and then create a rule out of that. I'm saying, genetically speaking, generally speaking, Generally speaking, okay, a man is going to be stronger than a woman a lot of the time. So, how do you think I would feel if one of my daughters is dating or married to a guy who mistreats her, who abuses her, who misuses her? In fact, Madison, who, who some of you know, she'll be 16 later this year, she, she video called us the other day. She, uh, with less on than I would prefer her to have when she was going off to a date. So I was like, Maddie, put a big coat on, put a beanie on, etc." Which, of course, she didn't. Um, oh, did she? No, that's because she was cold. Um, <laughs> anyway, I said to her, you just let Liam know, the guy that she's dating, um, that my left leg weighs more than he does. <laughs> I will hurt him if he hurts you. And you think I'm joking. I mean, maybe I am half. Here's my point. Can you imagine if someone is mistreating one of my daughters and then comes to me and asks me for a favor? I think that's what Peter's saying. Why would you think you can ask God for favors to help you out when you're mistreating his daughter? And I think that's exactly the same whether it's a wife mistreating her husband. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Where there is a heart behind all of these technicalities. We can argue, but there's a, there's a heart beneath all of this. Number five, strength should seek to understand. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. I think this is fairly obvious. But let me just comment briefly. That, that not so that it's a form of control or so that we can, you know, hear what the person is saying so that we can figure out how to quickly rebut their, their answer, but to actually have a heart that wants to understand, that seeks to understand, that, that seeks to, to in fact, in fact we, we should be able to answer back to the person what their burden is or what their challenge is or what it is that they, for us to be able to actually listen, and I do think that we're, I think we're in a cultural moment where listening is a lost art, where understanding is a lost art, where, where we are so quick to attack back, where we are so quick to, to, to be able to prove our point. And again, that's where I would go, go back to what I said earlier, being right is not always enough. You can be right and hurt someone so badly with your rightness, as opposed to seeking to understand where is this person coming from. And then lastly, number six, Strength protects. Strength protects. When Peter says she may be weaker than you, but treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be answered, I'm deliberately, I'm deliberately not going to go into detail, but I'll just tell you, I was disturbed while preparing this message. Just Googling statistics in South Africa as it relates to gender-based violence, as it relates to the number of rapes that are reported, even though, even though estimates are that only one in 10 or one in nine rapes are reported, we are literally living in a country where, where people that are stronger are abusing instead of protecting those that are weaker. And it should bother us. Like, it should matter to us. It should matter to us, not just the end result, but it should matter to us how people are treated long before something newsworthy takes place. So, so it's the jokes that are laughed at. It is, it, is, it is standing by when, as a guy, when a girl or a woman is being sexualized. And I'm just telling you, I've been surprised how even in my presence, I've seen guys looking at or calling out to one of my daughters. I'm like, can you not see that I'm right here? Like, are you out of your mind? I'm saying that to say, I'm saying that to say, I've only ever been me. I've only ever been a man. I don't know what it is to be a different color. I don't know what it is to be a different gender. So I've had the tiniest glimpse, the tiniest glimpse of how much it creeps a person out. How we protect, how we stand up for. Guys, I'm just telling you, this should, this should matter significantly. It should never ever, if, 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 our, if you're a Christian and your soul is at peace listening to music that demeans woman, I'm telling you that's an alarm bell. You may be deceived. You may be deceived thinking that it's okay. That's like people that were worshiping 
in church and then treating staff during apartheid as though they were less than animals. It's like, how do you reconcile that? I'm just telling you, strength protects. Whether it is financial strength, social capital, physical strength, any strength. That's, that's why I'm coming back to the knife. It, it is whose hand it's in and how it is used. If you're in a position of power, how you use that will be judged one day. It'll be judged one day. I'm just telling you, I will, be, I will give an account based on my, my race, my gender, my level of education, the fact that I grew up with certain privileges in a country that separated those privileges according to where you were born and what you looked like. I'm saying I will give an account for that. Now, now I think that the, the countermeasure of that is then to just feel guilt and shame of, over stuff that's out of your control. I think that's what the enemy wants. No, no, I don't think it should be guilt and shame. I think it should be gratitude and stewardship. Okay, God, what do I do with this? And so bear in mind that Peter is writing to a context that is complex, where there are, where there are very, very tricky cultural dynamics, and he's saying, we're not home yet. How we live now matters for eternity. Let's, let's serve. Let's honor. Let's have appropriate boundaries. You're free to have appropriate boundaries. Let's protect. Let's do the best we can. I'll end with this. John Wesley, the, the famous founder of the incredible Methodist movement, said the following. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. It matters. How we use our freedom in Christ, how we use our strength, whether that's financial, physical, social, whatever, it matters. It matters. We are called to steward our strengths. Amen?